This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Stand by, Rutherford County. The WGNS Action Line continues a search for truth. Right now that time, 8.16, you're tuned to WGNS on this Tuesday morning. And on the air with us this morning is Dr. Jadeep Sood. And he's going to be talking about a number of issues. Uh, Doctor, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Well, good. Uh, you know, one of the things that, of course, is kind of the elephant in the room is COVID-19. I mean, it's, it's what is on everybody's mind, it seems like. Are we seeing a lot more cases right now, or is these, or is this just like the news pumping it up to be bigger than what it is? What, what are we looking at? We are looking at more cases. Um, we have seen an ongoing increase uh, in the number of hospitalizations uh, of people with severe COVID infections. Um, uh, overall, uh, what you hear in the news is truly uh, the case. It's kind of wild when you start hearing all these different numbers and how the increase is so strong. It's almost stronger now than what it was when it first started, it seems like. It is. Uh, the, the, initial, um, uh, the initial presentation of the disease in, in central Tennessee specifically, we saw a spike. Uh, and uh, over the summertime, as people... Uh, wore masks uh, and socially distanced appropriately. The number of cases dropped off. Um, and I believe uh, as we backed away from those, uh, the number of exposures increased uh, more specifically around the holidays. And uh, we're seeing the consequences of that now. You know, it, I'm curious because you hear a lot of people talking about how you know, this person over here is not wearing a mask or that person's not wearing a mask and they're putting my health in danger or their friend's health in danger. Tell us more about the need to wear the mask. Well, masks serve two purposes. One is to protect yourself and the other is to protect the community around you. Um, there have been uh, studies worldwide about the efficacy of masks uh, and the reduction of transmission of, of the COVID virus specifically uh, between people. Um, now, obviously, nothing is 100% effective, but there is a real marked decrease in the transmission of the virus uh, between close contacts with uh, masks on. Oh. Masks are, are fairly um, unobtrusive. I, I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable wearing them. As a physician, I can tell you that we have to wear them all day and have for many years. Um, I think people can get used to them. Um, but if you look at it, uh, and the way I look at it is, if I have an elderly family member, an elderly neighbor, uh, an elderly uh, colleague, uh, and wearing a mask can decrease their risk, I'm not sure that I could justify in my own mind not doing it. Um, it's potentially life-saving because a severe COVID infection uh, 
especially in elderly people, can be fatal. And so, you know, this is one of the very minimal things that we can ask of ourselves as a community, um, and, and really ourselves, not just each other, because uh, if we make the personal decision, hopefully other people that see us make that decision may be influenced. Um, but I would strongly recommend it. I wanted to play this quick soundbite here that is from this morning. CBS News had this on, and it's just different people really throughout the country talking about some of their fears, talking about how some folks are not respecting others, and then it's also got some uh, news in there from this morning as well. But I wanted to play this real quick and and just kind of let me know, is this the general consensus of a lot of folks is some of the fear? Uh, Here it is right here. Senior administration officials are denying the reports and said they are absolutely confident that there will be enough doses to vaccinate the American people before the middle of next year. You know, it is difficult right now. Some of us do have families. We do have kids. You know, we have Christmas shopping that we need to do. The big concern is social distancing. We're just not able to do it. Today, President Trump is expected to sign an executive order to prioritize American citizens for the doses of vaccine that are procured by the administration before they are given to other countries, though it's unclear what power that order will have. There's a lot of partying that goes on after the bars and stuff. I'm not surprised, no. We need to change our habits a little bit. This is all going the wrong direction. I talk to people who don't wear their masks, and it's absurd. They just won't, they won't back down. It is the shot seen around the world. First on the globe to receive it, 90-year-old grandmother Maggie Keenan made history. I say go for it. Go for it because it's, it's free, and it's the best thing that's ever happened. So... Do, please go for it. That's all I say. Poetically, second to go for it was William Shakespeare of Warwickshire. Even a 99-year-old World War II veteran. (laughs) They're the first to be inoculated today with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, which was granted emergency approval here only last week. Again, Dr. Jay Deep sued with us this morning. So after hearing that, are a lot of people this fearful? And are a lot of people, because it sounded like some of those folks were kind of angry that others are not wearing a mask. I believe that's true. Um, uh, I think this issue, for some reason, has become extremely polarizing. Um, I, I, you know, it's hard to respond uh, to it because I see the effect of, severe illness every day um you know the way i talk about it is really uh the same way i was saying before um if if you can wear a mask whether or not you personally believe it'll save your life uh if it can put someone that uh is elderly uh both at ease and potentially protect them to some extent even if it's a even if you argue against its protective effect to a great extent, even if it's somewhat protective, uh, as a community, if we wear masks, um, it probably would allow for more freedom and mobility for elderly people. They, they wouldn't have to be housebound if they saw uh, everyone around them uh, you know, protecting each other. Now, Doctor, you deal with a lot of issues involving the lungs and COVID-19 it can be tied directly to the lungs as far as impacting them kind of give us a background on what you do and what you see each day 
Well, I'm a pulmonary critical care specialist, uh, which means that um, I deal with both diseases of the lung and uh, severe critical illness uh, requiring uh, hospitalization in the intensive care unit. Um, COVID specifically is a disease uh, that impacts the lungs uh, uh, primarily. Um, You know, most people that uh, have a COVID infection uh, may recover, survive, but the ones that have severe infection develop an overwhelming uh, infection of their lungs that progresses to um, requiring mechanical ventilation, uh, the assistance of breathing tubes, and uh, unfortunately uh, is fatal more often than we'd like it to be. You know, to me, when I hear the word lungs, anything involving the lungs is slightly scary just because, I mean, that's that's life right there. Breathing in, breathing out, we take it for granted, but it's scary to think something impacting our lungs. It is. Um, it is very scary. Uh, it's overwhelming. Uh, when you have the sensation that you can't breathe, uh, it is probably one of the scariest things that anyone can experience. Um, When I talk to patients that are suffering at that time, you know, they're really crying out for help. And uh, I I just even personally can't imagine uh, the sensation that no matter uh, what you do, uh, you don't feel like uh, you're breathing. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine anything worse than that feeling. So with COVID-19, what what exactly does it do with the lungs? I mean, what what impact does it have on the lungs? Well, um, COVID causes uh, through well, it causes an inflammatory response of the lungs um, that leads uh, to uh, large areas of the lung being unable to exchange oxygen. And uh, because of that, uh, people's oxygen levels plummet uh, quite drastically. And oxygen is what fuels our body. And so when we don't have enough of it, then you start feeling uh, your heart racing, you get confused. Uh, but the primary, uh, primary abnormality is that your lungs are no no longer able to adequately exchange oxygen from the air. How how many cases are are you seeing each day where somebody comes in and they're saying to you, you know, I I can't breathe right, and then you find out after doing tests and everything, it's COVID-related? I don't know the overall numbers uh, because uh, I I don't go down to the emergency department in cases where people don't require uh, the assistance of an intensive care unit bed. Um, but I know from anecdotal uh, uh, discussions with, with my colleagues that a large number of people that are coming to the emergency department these days uh, are specifically coming there because they have sensations of not breathing well um, and are subsequently being diagnosed with COVID. You know, that's pretty scary, I know, for a lot of people to hear. But when folks hear stuff like that, then they start thinking about their kids who are in school and they start hearing about all the schools that are switching to distance learning. Is there something more we can do besides just wearing masks and social distancing? And what can we tell our kids? Well, for our kids, 
um, I think, uh, first of all, reinforcing mask usage, uh, hygiene, um, washing hands, you know, don't touch your nose, don't touch your eyes uh, as best as you can, uh, social distancing over six feet. And I know there's a lot of argument, is six feet uh, a standard number? Should it be more? Should it be less? And, and the answer is, you know, we may not know perfectly, but uh, certainly there's a decrease of, of uh, viral particles as they travel through the air as distance increases. So, you know, to reinforce uh, the behaviors that we expect for ourselves, um, I think, uh, is what I recommend. Um, and to talk to them honestly about um, the consequences uh, of uh, a disease like this should an older person get it. Uh, and why it's important to uh, keep others in mind as they do these things so that they have uh, some sense of why we're asking them to do it. You know, I have children that are young um, as well, and and they're uh, in school uh, here in Rutherford and uh, in-person classes. Um, you know, I just encourage them uh, to keep doing what the school board has done. I think the school board overall has done a great job in, in protecting my children, at least, um, and I commend them for it. And so, you know, just to to uh, listen to them, uh, come to us with questions if they have those questions about why they're being asked to do anything so that we can talk about it. But, you know, from uh, what I see of, of both my children and their friends, uh, kids, have been pretty compliant with doing these things, uh, especially when the family supported as well. You know, kids are pretty flexible, and I, I think in Tennessee they've been saying if the child is under, what is it, 10, they're not required to wear the mask. And I know we don't have a mask mandate right now in Rutherford County, but it's highly recommended. But is it the age of 10 where they're not required to wear a mask? And if so, why do we set a certain age? Um. I hadn't heard that it was the age of 10, and, and thank you for bringing that to me. And my children are, you know, one of my children is younger than 10, and he wears his mask anytime he goes out and, and to school. Um, I know in his school, uh, all children are required to wear masks uh, uh, at uh, all grade levels. Um, so uh, I don't believe it should be uh, the age of 10. I can understand toddlers uh, who uh, aren't able to... Uh, understand uh, where, you know, maybe uh, either scary or irritating. Uh, and I have heard in other communities they set uh, ages of two or three uh, for, for children not to wear masks. But above that, school-aged children, um, I believe it should be uh, encouraged Well, a lot and, of, I was going to say, while a lot of people take this whole thing personal as far as the masks go, uh, you do have cases out there where you have kids who have asthma, you have kids who are autistic, and it, it's really hard for them to wear that mask. I agree. Uh, and, you know, uh, encouragement um, is different than universal expectation. When you have uh, a person, a child specifically, with uh, disabilities that, you know, prevent them from understanding uh, or complying, I mean, as humanity, we have to understand that as well, right? Um, so, you know, that uh, that's just, it's an unfortunate fact of life. And, and you know, we have to be sympathetic for those, uh, those situations. I, I, I won't deny that. 
um, you know, children with asthma, it, asthma uh, is episodic for the most part. Uh, we have a lot of colleagues in the hospital uh, that have asthma. Uh, we certainly see a lot of patients in our clinic, uh, our pulmonary clinic, that have asthma. Uh, we require that they wear masks uh, into the office um, for the protection of other patients and, and our staff members. Um, I have yet to see uh, someone decompensate uh, that has asthma because of a requirement to wear a mask. So, you know, if they're in an acute flare of asthma where they can't breathe and they're coming to the emergency department, that may be slightly different, but just a history of asthma itself should not uh, necessarily prevent someone from being able to wear a mask. Very good points for sure. You know, I guess, what are the symptoms of COVID-19? Because that's the one thing we haven't really talked a whole lot about. Well, that, that's a great question. And, you know, the symptoms are, uh, for the most part, very similar to a flu uh, for the vast majority of people. Uh, fever, myalgias, headache, uh, uh, cough, shortness of breath. Um, but... You know, we're still learning a lot, even though this has been going on for nine months. Uh, we see people with unusual uh, symptoms that end up having COVID uh, infections, uh, people with chest pain. Uh, we do know that uh, coronavirus affects the heart as well. Uh, people have alterations in, in how their heart functions. Uh, they, uh, we've also seen cases of coronavirus affecting directly the brain. So people present uh, with uh, alterations in their cognition. Uh, they're no longer awake and alert. Um, so it's a variety, but for the vast majority of people, uh, they will sense flu-like symptoms. It, it, you know, the underlying problems with COVID is, I would guess, that those who have medical problems already or a disease that was previously diagnosed they're usually more susceptible to getting COVID, but why is that? Well, I don't know that they're more susceptible to getting it. What I would say is they're more uh, uh, prone uh, and more likely to have severe symptoms of COVID. Um, and, you know, that really goes along with other diseases as well. Influenza uh, affects uh, elderly with other medical conditions uh, much more than it affects younger, healthier people, uh, and COVID is very similar, you know, in that same way. So if you have uh, other significant diseases uh, and you develop COVID and it progresses towards a severe infection requiring hospitalization, your likelihood of um, having an, uh, an outcome um, that's poor goes up. You know, I've got a, a text message here with a question on it. It says, am I a greater risk of getting COVID if I smoke? Uh, so what, or it says smoke or vape. So am I at greater risk is the question if you smoke or vape? Well, um, I have to be honest. Uh, I don't know that I have read any article that specifically addresses the association between smoking and vaping and uh, the risk of infection with COVID. Now, what I would say is that if you smoke or vape, um, uh, you already have an inflammatory response going on in your lungs. 
because of exposure to uh, the chemicals and vaping uh, and the toxins within cigarette smoke. Uh, and so if you do get infected and have a severe infection, you probably are more likely uh, to experience more severe symptoms than someone that doesn't. I'm going to get to a few more of these text messages that we have here, uh, starting with this one. It says, uh, let's see, I already asked you that one. Will it help reduce my risk of getting COVID by using disinfectant sprays, wipes, or liquids on my skin? <laughs> that, that's a, a very interesting question. I, You know, uh, uh, I do not recommend whatsoever using uh chemical products on your skin, uh, especially near your eyes, uh, nose, mouth, uh, or other orifices uh, without um, knowing specifically what's in those chemicals. Uh, Bleach has uh, severe responses, uh, sorry, bleach can cause uh, uh, severe irritation of the skin and eyes, um, as can many other chemicals. Uh, I think hand washing, uh, soap and water uh, should be more than adequate to reduce uh, the risk of direct contamination with uh, a virus such as COVID or influenza. Uh, Has testing for COVID-19 improved since March? It has. Um, When uh, when the virus first presented uh, into the United States and, and specifically into our community, um, and we would uh, send uh, a test for diagnosis of COVID. It would take anywhere from two to four days uh, for the test to result back to us. And now uh, they often happen within a matter of hours. Uh, so we're able to diagnose patients uh, much quicker than we were back in March. How accurate are some of these tests? Because you have the nose swab and then you have... Uh, what is it? The other one, they do a swab of your mouth. What What's accurate and what's not accurate or more accurate? I believe that the uh, gold standard, as we would call it, or, or the one that's been shown to have the best uh, overall uh, diagnostic yield would be a deep nasopharyngeal swab, the one that's probably the most irritating for everybody. Um, uh, right off the top of my head, I don't know uh, specifically the difference um, uh, in the percentage sensitivity between the two separate tests, but um, I certainly will look it up. You know, I've heard a lot of people who say they fear taking that nasal swab. They, they, I've heard people say, you know, it tickles the brain. It goes that far. I, said, I, don't, I don't think it does quite that. It goes, I guess, past the nasal cavity, but how far does it actually go? Um, it goes in a, a decent amount. Um, you know, it would, I, I don't uh, think it's a wrong descriptor to say it feels like it's tickling my brain. It'll go into the sinus cavities uh, uh, towards the back of the nasal passages, which lie right in front, uh, you know, sort of uh, part of the skull. So um, I think, uh, you know, it is uncomfortable. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've heard a single person say that they would voluntarily ever take that test again. Um, but, you know, it's something that uh, uh, if you have symptoms um, uh, and, you know, we're trying to treat you the right way or uh, if you have symptoms and it's important to know whether you need to protect your family members, it's just something that we have to do.
You, you know, due to how invasive that nasal swab is, is anyone out there putting themselves in more danger uh, for other reasons by taking such a, a swab test, you know, if they had some type of nasal surgery in the past? Um, I don't believe so, uh, but uh, I think that's uh, a good question. I, I don't. So I, I would answer it this way. I have not read a single case report uh, in the literature, worldwide literature, of someone having uh, an adverse outcome from getting a nasal swab for COVID. Um, does that mean that, you know, it hasn't happened? I just don't know. But there's no report in the literature, and we certainly haven't seen any here in Rutherford. Uh, Dr. J. Deep sued with us this morning, and we're talking about COVID-19 and other related issues. Right now the time, 840. Uh, Doctor, I'm going to take a quick break here to get to the news, and then we'll be back to ask you more questions right after that. We appreciate you joining us this morning on WGNS. Time Absolutely. Right now, yeah, time right now, 841. Stay with us. More news and information is coming up. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's place to talk. This is David Kivenemi from Music World and Drummer's Den. Come in, take a look at the incredible display of instruments we have. Guitars, drums, keyboards, PA systems, just about anything you can think of for that musician and the family who maybe needs something a little special for Christmas this year. Come on by and see us at Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church in Murfreesboro, across from Indian Hills Golf Course. As the Christmas season is approaching, there are many parties out there and glass minute gifts, and Demas is here to be able to help you along with all those things. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the things that we have to offer is obviously our gift cards, and the gift cards come in any denomination. We have our seasonings that makes a perfect gift. We have Demas's classic T-shirts. Demas's also now has catering to be able to serve you and to be able to take care of you. Any of this information is available online, www.demasrestaurants.com. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Tune into the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell, self-made millionaire and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, will show you how to live the life of your dreams and pay for it with passive income. Listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show this Saturday, 11 to noon on News Radio WGNS. Precision Air knows you want the air inside your home as safe and clean as possible. Clean the air in your home with an affordable UV system. WGNS listeners get $50 off. 615-930-0088. A whole house air purifier. 615-930-0088. Why move into a new house and, and leave a home that you already have memories with? Farrah Construction had already done the bathroom. Then we decided to move a wall or two and redo the playroom. If you can dream it, we can turn it into reality. And they did. The best investment in enjoyment that we ever made. We're family here at Farrah Construction. We care about you. This is Ron Hall with Farrah Construction. Call 615-893-6120. CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by Eggland's Best. 
I'm Vicki Barker in London. A big corner turned in the global pandemic as Britain begins the world's first mass vaccinations with the Pfizer vaccine. In Scotland, Northern Ireland, in Wales, in England, people are having the vaccine for the first time. Prime Minister Boris Johnson. 90-year-old Margaret Keenan, the first to be vaccinated. I can't tell you just how much emotion there was uh, in that vaccination centre. Stephen Powers, head of England's health service. The UK's ordered enough doses of the Pfizer vaccine to inoculate one-third of the population with six more vaccines in the pipeline. COVID restrictions remain in place here, but the head of Britain's COVID task force predicts Brits will have a summer holiday next year. I'm Vicki Barker in London. Now with more CBS News, here's Deborah Rodriguez. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is expected to be approved for use in the U.S. this week. Assistant Secretary of Health Admiral Brett Giroir tells CBS. We will be able to vaccinate about 20 million people this month and another 20 to 25 million in January and another 20 to 25 million in February. The vaccine is not expected to be available to most Americans until next spring. The White House denies it turned down a chance to buy millions of of extra doses from Pfizer over the summer. For now, COVID cases, hospitalizations, and deaths continue to break records. It makes sense to some in Providence, Rhode Island. There's a lot of partying that goes on in the streets and after hours, after the bars and stuff. I'm not surprised, no. We need to change our habits a little bit. This is all going the wrong direction. No way you'll be able to afford to lose these headphones. New wireless AirPods. Apple has just unveiled new over-the-air AirPods Max. The noise-canceling cans sell for $549. 40 years ago today... John Lennon was shot and killed entering his apartment building on Manhattan's Upper West Side. Charles Rosenay published a magazine about the Beatles. What we lost that night was not the killing of one rock star. What we lost is somebody who till today would have probably given us great insight. Uh, He spoke the truth. An obsessed fan named Mark David Chapman pulled the trigger. S&P futures are down 15, Dow futures off 103. This is CBS News. Old friends, a new name, better together, as First National Bank of Murfreesboro transforms into Capstar Bank, our focus is on you. We're entering a new generation of banking in Rutherford County, but we'll always remain a community bank with local people you trust and uniquely exceptional service you deserve. We're at 2230 Mercury Boulevard, capstar.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Skies will become mostly sunny here for this afternoon with a high into the mid-40s. Winds out of the northwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy, low of 28. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Fuchitsky on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 35. Good morning. There's still quite a bit of traffic flow here coming out of Coffee County into Rutherford, but we're in pretty good shape as far as interstate accidents. Now, it has picked up on 840 headed over towards Franklin, Williamson County, just typical for this time of the morning. Hey, to cater your next holiday party coming up, call Prince's Hot Chicken or go online, princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck. You're on time traffic. The Action Line on FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. We're Rutherford County's Place to Talk. News time right now, 847. You're tuned in to the Action Line on WGNS this Tuesday morning. Our guest today, Dr. J. Deep Sood. And doctor, tell us where you're located or how folks can set an appointment with you. Uh, I practice at 
St. Thomas Rutherford. Um, uh, our group uh, is St. Thomas Medical Partners Pulmonary, and uh, we have our offices attached uh, right to the hospital. Um, uh, it, uh, appointments can be set directly by calling uh, our clinic um, here at St. Thomas. Sounds good. And for folks listening, you can text us any questions you have at 615 615- 893-1450. Again, 615-893-1450. And some of the other questions that we wanted to get to this morning, one of them deals with Alzheimer's, and the person was asking, is there a risk increase of getting Alzheimer's if you haven't been diagnosed with it already because of COVID-19, if you catch COVID-19? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, so first, you know, we have to set this um uh, in the beginning, which is this is a very novel and new disease. And uh, the worldwide knowledge of this disease is uh, less than one year old uh, for all intents and purposes. And, you know, Alzheimer's is a, um, uh, a long-term diagnosis and a long-term alteration uh, in cognition and the thought processes of a patient uh, or of a person. Um, that being said, um, we know that COVID uh, can affect the brain. Uh, we've seen patients with uh, stroke, uh, strokes occurring uh, with this inflammatory uh, uh, diseases, infections of the brain secondary to COVID. Uh, and there are reports of people that have had COVID infections having persistent uh, alterations in uh, their thoughts, uh, similar to uh, how people with dementia would, would behave. And, and uh, so... Studies are underway to see, you know, the long-term effects, but um, I think the best I would say is there are reports of uh, some fairly minimal, fortunately, uh, people having uh, long-term Alzheimer's-type symptoms after a COVID infection. You know, with a disease like COVID-19, because it's so new, it is really hard to understand what the long-term impact's going to be. And it's got to be tough on scientists in the medical field trying to figure this stuff out because it hasn't been around long enough to figure it out. Um, it is. I think it's more frustrating for people than it is um, necessarily for scientists. We want to know. We want to help. But the primary reason for that is because people are suffering and they want to know. Um, I think it's very frustrating for the community. Um uh, when they hear us say we don't know enough yet, um, and I can understand that frustration. I wish, you know, we had a larger base of knowledge uh, that we could share with people. I think part of this uncertainty is what drives uh, fear about the disease. But over time, hopefully, we'll continue to learn more, uh, and more hopefully, um, you know, eventually we will uh, have a grasp on this disease worldwide and, and be able to move on from it. And here is another text message for Dr. Jadeep Sood. It says, can you get COVID-19 from food? And then it goes on to say, in other words, if the person preparing a meal has the virus, can you get it from the food they prepare? Um, again, another, another very good question. I personally uh, don't know um, the risk of foodborne transmission of COVID. Um, obviously, uh, if the person is preparing without mask, um, uh, particles certainly can get on food, uh, just 
like the risk of transmission of any virus, dirty, you know, hands, uh, coughing onto food, all of those would increase risk. Um, I don't know the exact percentage risk of it, though. Well, we have another question here regarding long-term impact, and, and I know this is, again, tough because the long-term impact's not fully realized yet, but it says... Uh, I have heard COVID-19 affects the lungs, but does it have any long-term impact on lung health? Um, So the answer to that is yes. Um, We know that it does, especially in people that have severe uh, COVID illnesses uh, that can cause scarring in the lungs. Um, uh, So those people certainly can have long-term impacts. Uh, In people that don't have such severe illnesses, uh, illnesses. Uh, I think it goes back to we'll have to find out over a period of time. Now, anyone that has a viral infection of their lungs um, can have symptoms very similar to asthma that can persist for uh, weeks to months. That happens with almost uh, any viral illness or can happen with almost any viral illness. Um, so that being said, I think you know we have to still go out another six months, a year to see if people are having persistent symptoms like that um, despite, you know, adequate treatment of COVID and enough time for recovery uh, or if things resolve, you know, after some months. But uh, certainly with severe infection, uh, uh, you you can get scarring in your lungs and have long-term effects. The scarring in the lungs, uh, is this similar to uh, nodules that may be found in your lung, lungs if you have uh, the, what, what is the disease where those who explore caves and old barns and the bat droppings get into your lungs? Right. Is it similar well, great, to that? It, that's a great question. Um, uh, it is not um, because those are, well, no, it is and it isn't, I think. <laughs> that's, it's, a, it's actually a really good question. Um, so uh, exposures to bat droppings, uh, other fungal infections can cause inflammatory reactions in your lungs. Um, and prolonged exposures over a prolonged period of time without treatment certainly can end up in, uh, in scarring of your lungs. Um, and it can be persistent at that point. Well, not persistent. It is persistent at that point despite treatment. Um, COVID is a much more accelerated process. So People that have severe infections of their lungs uh, can get a syndrome called ARDS, um, uh, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. Um, It simply refers to an overwhelming inflammatory response um, uh, in the lungs from a variety of causes, including infections, and severe COVID causes the same thing. Um, Some people that get that process um, or get that that disease, ARDS, um, uh, especially in COVID, uh, will have some degree of scarring as a result of the inflammation that goes on their lungs. But it's an accelerated process compared to a longer-term, slower exposure um, to things like bat droppings or uh, fungus in the soil. You know, I've read, and this was a while back, but I read uh, histoplasmosis numbers are higher in the South, and I don't know if that's true or why it would be true, but if so, for those who have that, um, do they have it for life, or is there treatment for it that 
literally gets rid of it or is that scarring or the, the nodules on the lungs always there no matter what if you have it? Um, so uh, histoplasmosis is, is what we call endemic or very prevalent uh, throughout the Ohio uh, and Tennessee River Valleys. Um, so people in the South, uh, uh, but also in the Midwest, um, uh, can get it. It's, uh, it's a natural uh, organism that lives in the soil. So people that garden a lot, uh, that perhaps do construction activities, can get exposed to it. Um, slow exposures over a long period of time uh, can lead to some nodules. Most, say, in the vast, vast majority of people, those nodules don't cause really any symptoms. Um, uh, but um, uh, people can get symptoms, uh, shortness of breath, sometimes discomfort of their chest. The disease itself can be treated with antifungal agents um, uh, if necessary, but fortunately, you know, with, with stopping exposure and uh, uh, most people don't require uh, uh, treatment like that. We only have a couple of minutes left, but somebody just texted, where did COVID-19 come from? Well, uh, as best as we know, uh, the first cases were uh, in Wuhan, China. Um, in terms of the mechanism of spread, where did it come from uh, itself? Um, I believe uh, the majority of the scientific community uh, is in a consensus that it was transmitted from an animal. Um, don't know how. Uh, I personally don't know you know, uh, which animal, I, uh, I think I've heard pangolin, I've heard bats, but um, zoonotic or, or transmission from animals uh, to humans is believed to be the route of transmission. And the first cases that were identified in the literature were in Wuhan, China. Very interesting for sure. We're talking to Dr. Jadeep Sue this morning, and he is part of St. Thomas right here in town. And if anybody has more questions for you or wants to get a hold of you, you're at 1800 Medical Center Parkway, again, right here in Murfreesboro, and the number 615-849-9868. We definitely appreciate you joining us this morning. A lot of information for sure. Well, thank you for having me on um, and uh, for those great questions. Um, I really appreciate it. And as we close out this morning with the last minute remaining, the mask, how important is it to remind folks to wear that mask? I think it's absolutely critical. Um, uh, We uh, need to bring uh, the transmission of the disease under control and uh, wearing a mask I would tell people it is more freeing. If everyone around you is wearing a mask, you'll be safer to be uh, out in public spaces. Um, and so, although it may be uh, uncomfortable, um, I would encourage people to think not just about themselves, but about the people they love around them uh, and try uh, to do the best they can to keep each other safe. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Dr. Jadeep Sood, and uh, we'll have you back on the air soon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.